Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us today. This past week was very bleak with the news of the Uvalde grade school shooting. Pastor Matthias talks about how even through horrible tragedies, we are still needed to shine our light and come together to work as one. Let's take a listen. Friends, this morning we are continuing with our worship series together, preparing ourselves for Pentecost, called Pentecost Be More, looking at ways that Christ Jesus changes us in all sorts of different ways. Uh, however, I should say this morning we are making a little bit of an adjustment. Uh, the original plan this morning was to talk about uh, the story of St. Paul in Athens when he goes to the hill of Mars and talk about how we're changed by truth and ideas. Uh, however, given some of the headlines that we've been seeing this week and also maybe more importantly given some of the questions uh, and conversations that I've been hearing from folks this week, it didn't seem... It didn't seem like Greek philosophy was necessarily what was going to be on everybody's mind this morning. Uh, and so instead, we're shifting gears a little bit to talk about uh, a different story from the book of Acts, the story of the first church in the city of Antioch and how the situation of that church family speaks a little bit to the situation that we find ourselves in this morning. But friends, our reading is from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 21, and then 25 to 30. Friends, listen now for the word of the Lord. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. But some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year... Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. That's a quote that I know we've all heard some version of before in movies and books, on posters, even in presidential speeches. 
We have absolutely no idea who said it first. It gets misattributed to JFK or MLK or different poets all the time, but regardless of who first said it, it's a line that sticks around because you have to admit there is a bit of truth to it. We live in a deeply broken world, full of deeply broken people in which there are some things that are worth calling evil. And sometimes those terrible things happen when people do nothing about them. But the real question I think that quote raises, or at least the real issue that I imagine that anonymous poet might have been trying to raise, is the question of why on earth would good people sometimes do nothing? If we know something is wrong, if we see pain, why not do something about it? Is it because there's nothing to do? Is it because we can't see anything that can be done? Because we can't agree on what to do? Because we don't know how to do it? No, the more you sit with it, none of those answers is really satisfying. No, more than helplessness, more than lack of vision, the more you think about it and the more you sit with it, the more it seems that good people most often do nothing in the face of evil when evil becomes normal. When tragedy becomes typical. When horror becomes routine. And when suffering becomes inevitable, then good people sometimes lose the will to do anything about it because that just becomes the way the world works. All that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing, the poet says, because good people do nothing when evil becomes normal. Evil should have been normal for the brothers and sisters of the first church in Antioch. In fact, by the time that we get to that story in Acts chapter 11, evil is just about all that the believers of that church family had ever really known. Their trouble started back in Jerusalem, in what was actually their hometown, when a mob had seized a member of their community named Stephen and murdered him in the streets. They had watched or heard vivid accounts from their friends about how violent, how terrifying it had been. And then a persecution came next. The murder was just the beginning, day and night. The people lived in fear. Fear of people coming for them, for their relatives, for their friends, even for their children, until eventually the community in Jerusalem was scattered. That's actually how Christianity came to the city of Antioch through refugees fleeing violence. And just as that church family began to settle into their new home, began to breathe a little bit easier, a famine broke out. Whether it was because of supply chain issues, or the climate, or a war, or by all of the above, all at once people couldn't find enough food to eat, and so all at once people began dying. And still traumatized from the persecution, still grieving lost loved ones, and now lying awake at night wondering what would be next, evil 
must have seemed so normal to them, so predictable, so unsurprising, so routine, to the point that I can't imagine how tempting it must have been for them to just go numb to it all, to accept that this is just the way the world works and do nothing because death was how the story always seemed to end anyways. Of course, we may not know what it's like to suffer a persecution or to be refugees or to go through an actual famine, but in our own ways, I'm guessing many of us know what that kind of numbness is like. Many of us know what it's like to feel pain, compounded by pain in our own personal lives, and know what it's like to witness evil followed by evil in our world. Maybe it was that terrible year when you got that diagnosis, then faced financial fears about how to cover the cost, followed by family fights that left us devastated. Maybe it was the time that you lost a loved one you couldn't bear to lose. Then another, and then another, until you woke up and realized you had the layout of the funeral home memorized. Maybe it was a crisis at work, a tragedy at home, unbearable news, or maybe it was seeing that endless list of schools, Columbine, Tucson, Red Lake, Nickel Mines, Virginia Tech, DeKalb, Oakland, Sandy Hook, Santa Monica, Santa Fe, Rosebug, Partland, Uvalde that suddenly made you think that that is just how the world works. And that left you feeling as if loss, anger, helplessness, and hopelessness is normal. In one way or another, we all know what it's like to look at tragedy and be tempted to think that's just the way it is. But the thing is, for all the tragedy that they had experienced, all the helplessness, all the frustration and anger they had felt, evil never became normal to the first church in Antioch. From mobs to persecution to famine, the world is full of people and things that are truly worthy of being called evil, and that's how this scripture passage starts out. It starts by reminding us of the evils experienced by those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. That's how the story starts, but the thing that's incredible about the opening of this passage is that the text doesn't just report on the people's past suffering, but scripture tells us about how those same tired and afflicted refugees came from Jerusalem to Antioch talking about good news, sharing a gospel about Jesus Christ, sharing a message of hope with the Jews and the Greeks and anyone who would listen. Then Barnabas and Saul arrived and spent an entire year staying in Antioch, teaching, working, and living in ways that seemed to defy that routine suffering and unsurprising tragedy the people knew with stories about healing for the traumatized 
comfort for the grieving, and moments of redemption even for the most hopeless. And then, when that famine finally broke out, while everyone else in the city of Antioch went numb to the suffering of others, thought of themselves, and threw up their hands, saying, well, that figures the church of Antioch, as verse 29 says, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. How amazing is that? In a moment of fear and panic, the church of Antioch realized there were some in Judea who had it even worse than they did and didn't just send thoughts but sent actual food to feed starving people and money to support real ministries. In other words, for all the tragedy, for all the anger, all the loss, for all the evil the men and women of the first church of Antioch felt and faced, they never let it become normal to them. They never stopped believing in good news, no matter how much tragic news they heard. They never stopped thinking with hope about how tomorrow could be different, could be better, and they never stopped building glimpses of the kingdom come in real ways. Antioch is the first place in the book of Acts where the earliest church was first confronted by all the evils of this world And it is the first place where followers of Jesus Christ refused to let pain become typical or tragedy become routine. And how significant is it that as verse 26 tells us, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Antioch is the very first place where followers of Jesus Christ proved that evil may be real, that tragedies may come, but these things would never define their lives or define their idea of what the world normally looks like. And so Antioch is the very first place where you could say that not just they, but we as a faith earn the right to be called Christians because it became the very first place where we were set apart from this world of normal evil by a savior of abnormal hope. That says something about us, says something about our faith, about our church, about our movement knowing that the very first men and women to actually call themselves Christians were men and women who the rest of the city looked at and said, those people who have been through the fire but still talk about hope, those are the Christians. People looked and said, those people who give food away, even when they're hungry, even during a famine, those are the Christians. People who looked and said, those who have lost and suffered in ways I can't begin to imagine, but who still talk about life, those are the Christians. The very first men and women to be 
Christians were men and women who found a way to be different, to be changed, to be something more than just a product of this broken world. By their words and by their works, they chose to be something more than tragedy gave them reason to be. They became Christians. Men and women preaching and teaching, helping and doing, hoping and living in ways that refused to ever say, that's just the way the world works, and in ways that refused to ever let evil become their new normal. They were Christians because no matter how many tragedies the world threw at them, the cross never became normal to them because their normal was an empty tomb on the third day. So yes, we live in a deeply broken world filled with deeply broken people in which evil is very, very real. And it's true, we don't always agree on what causes the evils that we see, or agree on what needs to be done, what needs to change, what needs to happen next. Evil is real, and we aren't always sure what to do about it, but if there is any lesson that the very first Christians at the Church of Antioch have to teach us, it's that evil may be real, but it can never be our normal. We can debate and we can disagree about what causes the horrors that we see, but the good news is we are the ones who never say that's just the way the world works. We can try and do all sorts of different things to prevent the tragedies we witness, but the good news is we are never the ones who do nothing. And we can hear unspeakable news day in and day out about all the violence and all the crosses in this world. But the good news of our faith is that we are the ones who refuse to see death on the cross as normal. Because for Christians, normal is life on the third day. And thanks be to God for it. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you were blessed by this message and that you are a blessing to others. God bless and go in peace. Thank <laughs> you.